0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins, filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Let's get right into it. Uh, First and foremost, I do want to play this audio. I know uh, this conversation, Joe Rogan uh, and Aaron Rodgers, happened a little while ago, but something that is now uh, going viral from it. Just a quick, simple message from a Joe Rogan uh, that I am... 100% sure we can play uh, everything cleaned up from this moment. Uh, but Joe Rogan just had a simple idea for anyone that struggled during the pandemic and anyone now uh, that looks back and wonders, as say the CDC, whoever it might, everybody, everybody but uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is admitting that we made mistakes. We got things wrong. We should have known this. We should have done this different. We should have waited uh, to put this or that out there. Whatever it is that they're admitting is the fault here, it's interesting that almost everyone is saying. There's things we could do better except that one individual. Uh, but here's how Rogan thinks that this will impact the everyday American.
2: No one who is alive today had ever experienced a true pandemic. And I'm hoping that now that this is over, people are going to you know, recognize that some serious
1: errors were made and not repeat those. That's the best you can get out of it. So what do you tell those people? Vote. By the way, I'm not... Oh, hold on. Republican. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. <laughs> By the way, I'm not really sure that I totally agree that the best you can get out of this... Uh, now is just to make sure not to make the serious errors again. I think you also have to hold people accountable. And I'm sure that Rogan thinks that too. Uh, It's just the brief clip that's going viral all over social media, uh, which is very simplistically stated, vote Republican. Republicans were not in favor of government overreach the way it was happening during the pandemic. So on the tail end of everything that was uh, the last few years, it does make sense to try to put new people in positions of power uh, but we do also have to hold those accountable, including, of course, the country responsible for creating COVID. But I digress. That feels like a long that. You know what? That conversation now the the China should bear some kind of responsibility, do something in the world of COVID. Uh, that's similar to arguing LeBron James, Michael Jordan, who's the best ever. You go blue in the face saying to whoever it is you're saying it to that this is something that should happen, and the other person will just sit there and be like, I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really sure. And it's, just, it's probably the most mind-numbing thing I can do now outside of, again, uh, tell people emphatically that Michael Jordan is a much better basketball player than LeBron James has ever been. Uh, but again, I'll move on. We won't do that conversation either. All right, uh, Biden's Energy Secretary, Secretary, Jennifer Granholm, I think more than anyone else, uh, she is willing to say the thing that they're all trying to sort of kind of say, but not really put it right on the... Right out there for the American people, the way that Jennifer uh, does, and I'm not saying it's a good strategy. I think it's a pretty uh, significant mistake. I also think the policy itself is a big problem to shove the world, or at least our country, toward green energy, uh, toward buying electric vehicles, toward you know not relying on fossil fuels. All of that's a terrible plan. But once again, in an interview, she said that we are pressing the accelerator. We are we are doing our part, and she means the government in trying to force this change on at least our society. and I'll tell you one other thing before I play the audio. I was traveling recently. I've been to uh, some other countries sort of close to ours. (laughs) I don't know why I wouldn't mention it, places like Mexico. And what I definitely didn't see were a lot of electric vehicles. That wasn't something that was covering the roadways in other countries. And I think if, say, uh, United States manufacturers struggle to sell cars to our country if that ever happened. It's not happening now. I don't want anyone to hear what I'm saying and think that I believe that we're in some sort of transition that I think the American people are resisting that's being forced upon them. And we're only resisting it because it's still the financially better option. Uh, The market itself decides when it's smarter to go one way uh, rather than another way. Uh, But anyway, if that ever occurred, if we ever did struggle, there would be a way that we would start exporting more product to more countries finding maybe more competitive pricing to make those sales still work. And those countries would buy the stuff. It's the same thing I say all the time in the world of oil and gas. It's something where you saw, I think the Congo was talking about how they're going to um, open up lands in the rainforest to drill for oil. And this is because it's, it's financially beneficial to them. And they don't really care about those agreements that other people are making. They care about the, the dollar amount, the money, Uh, that would go into the coffers for their country. So here is Jennifer Granholm once again saying, we're going to do something that's going to put the United States in a bad position, I think, on an international scale, and we're just doing it because I don't believe it's actually going to have any sort of net impact because we're doing it alone. As we transition to this clean economy, we wanna make sure people have access to the fuels that they need to either go to work or flip
3: on a switch, et cetera. We know it's a transition, but ultimately this is why we're pressing on the accelerator to be able to Uh move to clean, because if we don't have to rely upon the volatility Uh of fossil fuels, or at least, or of countries who are exporting fossil fuels that
1: don't have our interests at at heart or don't share our values, Here's the problem. When they don't share our values, they don't just hurt our country. They hurt other countries because the values we have as the United States, we believe in those on an international scale. We believe in those and we believe that we have partners throughout the world, uh, allies uh, that believe in those similar values, at least the value of having freedom uh, in a way that you don't have in a lot of these countries that are essentially our enemies, quote unquote, or at least people that don't agree with us, uh, people like Russia. We see when the United States tries to take a a less valuable position, tries to be a a company or, excuse me, a country uh, that behaves much like a company trying to transition from one industry to another industry, that we hurt all of those neighboring countries. Germany right now is in a unique position. Uh, Germany, I think, resisted more so than most European countries cutting off Russian oil uh, because they desperately need it, uh, cutting off Russian gas uh, because they desperately need it. And now that uh, Russia is essentially just flaring out a bunch of their natural gas, just not selling it to anyone, just wasting it because they're not giving it to Germany, they're not providing it the places that it's needed, those countries struggle. And then they turn back to and do whatever they're asked to do for the countries that are not our allies. I don't know why this is something that seems to be a struggle for many people, I think, within the Biden administration to understand. But we don't just create gas and oil to make sure that we have gas and oil here in our country. That's not the only reason we do it. The reason we're such a large exporter of these things, especially the um, liquid natural gas, is because of how valuable it is for those other countries to work with us and not someone else. All right, here's one other thing I want to play. Actually, you know what? We got two other things I'm going to play. Only one more political thing, though. Uh, Rick Scott uh, totally disagrees uh, with Mitch McConnell's assessment of some of the Senate candidates uh, for Republicans this Uh, midterm election. Uh, He actually was talking to Sean Hannity about this, a quick back and forth on Fox News. Uh, They were actually right in the middle of discussing some of the candidates, how valuable they were before inevitably the question came from a Hannity, uh, do you agree with McConnell? I want to keep all of this here because Rick says that there's very strong races going on right now. He's in full support of these Senate candidates, and he believes uh, more so than McConnell does, that there can be a lot of success for the Republicans.
3: How about Georgia? Well, we've How got about great
1: North Carolina? Ca- all
2: around the country. Georgia, North Carolina. North Car-
1: First off, let's go through. Ron Johnson's running a great race against a radical in, in Wisconsin. Ted Budd's running a great race against a soft-on-crime federal uh, North Carolina Supreme Court justice. Herschel's running a great race against Warnick uh, down in Georgia. Uh, we've got J.D. Vance running a great race against well, Tim Ryan. Let me Ryan. ask you this, Senator. Uh, master just kind of the race. Mitch McConnell says
2: it's 50-50 in terms of Repub- Republicans getting the Senate. He thinks we have a better chance in the House. Do you agree with that? No. We've got
1: great <laughs> candidates. No. Look at Look at the, the background of these people. I mean, they, these are wonderful individuals that believe in this country, and they believe in the right things. We- I, I think that's interesting, though, as we talk about whether or not uh, this year is going to be a successful year for Republicans. Uh, you do wonder if some of the decision-making, some of those choices to put certain people uh, in certain positions, which, of course, I know uh, that everybody feels as though the voters do that. Uh, well, I think that the uh, parties have a pretty significant say in a lot of the movement of how that sort of stuff happens. Um, but Dr. Oz is one of uh, a lot of examples of people who have seen issues, seen different struggle. And you you do wonder, uh, even as all three are endorsed by uh, former President Donald Trump, who's doing very well, uh, and actually, I saw this. You know what? I'll say this, and then we'll play the silly thing and we'll take a break. Um, this Donald Trump Mar-a-Lago thing might be such a significant distraction to Republicans that they've gone off message in saying the right thing to the American people to get voted and or to get voted into office. What I mean by that is maybe the American people don't care. <laughs> for better or for worse, I, I know that actually sounds kind of shocking. It's sort of shocking to me. Uh, A former president gets his home raided. But maybe a lot of people have already made up their mind on that. Uh, Maybe if you're someone on a certain side of the political aisle, you know that that is. And I don't definitively know this, by the way. I want way more information than we got from the heavily redacted affidavit that came out. Uh, But maybe if you're someone on a certain side of the aisle, you know that it was all uh, politically motivated. It was all crap. None of it matters. Whatever they find is stuff that they might have planted. If you feel that way, you probably don't need to hear Your local Senate candidate, your local uh, politicians talk ad nauseum about that. You don't need to hear them tell you time and again what you think about that issue. The same might be true for people very far to the left or on the left in general. Uh, But then even further than that, the winning talking points for Republicans for a while now have just been the things that Democrats have screwed up. Uh, It's fairly easy. They actually say that in the world of um, uh, social media. Uh, and this is something that scares me about social media a lot, that a, a negative, when you say something negative, when you attack something, that has way more value, that goes way more places. It gets a much more significant reaction on social media than if you say something positive. Uh, and maybe the defense of Trump for some reason or the attacking of the politicization of the FBI, uh, the, the world in which you can actually use that organization to investigate a political opponent which essentially is what a lot of people believe happened. Uh, maybe that is not as as significant of a conversation, as weird as it is. Although Trump's been through so many things now that I'm starting to believe more and more that this is true, that the reality is you just talk about how terrible um, the economy is, how, how horrible inflation is, how we are definitely in a recession and it's denied by Democrats, how Democrats screwed up in Afghanistan. There's still people in Afghanistan. I was talking about this the other day, filling in for Chad. There's still Americans in Afghanistan. That is that is shocking. Uh, and not, I should say, shocking in the sense that our government can screw up that bad, but just how terrible of a plan Biden had going in to getting everyone out, to um, you know removing our forces and allowing all the terrible things that happen and continue to happen there as just a byproduct of the mistake that was made there. But there are so many examples of Biden getting stuff wrong. Ukraine and Russia Uh, is another great example, another thing that you could talk about running in any sort of election right now and say, look, if we put ourselves back in positions of power, uh, we prevent that. And honestly, to go back to how I opened the segment, Joe Rogan. When Rogan says that everything during the pandemic got screwed up and now some of those organizations are taking some level of accountability for their mistakes in it, certainly not the politicians doing it, the only way to truly prevent us from going through something like that ever again is to make sure the politicians understand the mistakes that were made and the way to correct them. The Democrats don't even admit they made mistakes. So obviously that seems to be a better winning argument than the distraction that intentionally or unintentionally, depending on what you believe of that investigation from JUMP, uh, was a plan from Democrats to begin with. Of course, Democrats want a focus on Trump and how terrible he is. It, it energizes their side. Uh, that's something that gets Democrats out and voting. Uh, We need to think about something, I think, if you're on the other side of the aisle, uh, that is not quite that sort of thing, that sort of leaves that entire conversation off to the side and instead talks about what motivates people to go out and vote and prevent some of those policy things from ever happening again. All right, quick break, a lot more. I do have the funny audio. Uh, You have to hear it. Uh, It is at a wedding. It is a woman uh, at the altar, and the guy got something wrong in the vows, and she found it funny. In a way, the Joker finds stuff funny. That audio coming up next. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
0: Welcome to Chad. Chad. No, not the country. The institution. The Chad Benson Show.
1: This is The Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. So this audio is going viral of a guy at a wedding saying the wrong thing, and the uh, wife, the person he's marrying in that moment, uh, laughing uh, hysterically, I think is the right way to say it. I want to play it. The audio is old. I should warn you, this didn't happen recently. And it's gone viral before, but for some reason it gets shared every so often. Uh, And I wonder if the biggest reason why is that certainly a lot of people had different relationship struggles and things uh, happen over the last few years. Uh, Maybe some people are are starting to wonder uh, or look for signs Say, if something didn't work out, uh, this might be one of those signs. Again, this is up to you to judge. Here we go. Uh, I saw this all over Twitter just the other day, so figured we should play it here. Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom.
2: Aye, Andrew Paul Daniel Ingstrom. Good luck, Andrew. Do take Andrew. Melissa Renee Warren. Do take Melissa Renee Warren. To be my waffly
1: wedded wife.
2: <laughs> to be my waff-waffly.
1: <laughs> he said waffly.
2: <laughs> and pancakey. Uh-oh. I've been scared of this all my life.
1: Okay, look, she seems uh, genuinely amused there, and that's totally fine. But there was some laughter in the middle there when you said waffly and pancakey on the Pancake. altar.
2: <laughs> I've been scared of this all my life. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, that, I think things are going to work out just fine. I think they'll be... I wonder if they're still married because uh, this goes viral every so often, like I said, and it's actually a little bit older. Uh, I, I do wonder if that couple is still together right now and if she really just, like, laughs like that to anything because uh, one of the best feelings I get as a husband... Uh, this is silly, and this is a weird way to say this, but darn it, we're here now, so we're going to finish the thought. Uh, one of the best feelings I get as a husband is making my wife laugh, like, very hard uh, because when you're in a relationship for a while... I think the significant other, they, they've they heard a lot of the main jokes. They've heard a lot of the approaches before. So I think you get them to laugh. I get my wife to laugh every single day, but it's never like the hard laugh, like the the out-of-breath laugh. And when that does happen, and it does still happen, it feels real good. There's something about it. Like I'd actually prefer that as opposed to saying having a, a segment go uh, as well as I hope a lot of them go, I don't know what it is, like getting the wife to laugh. You'd think there'd be an audience you stop caring about, as you as you're married for years and years and years, now there's something about it that's better. I will take one little part of that back, though. If my wife laughed like this woman, if that was what you got when you got to the final summit, the the top of the hill of making them really truly like uh, almost go to the bathroom in their pants, laugh. I'm not sure I'd want that anymore. I'm not sure I'd be <laughs> as interested as I am all the time in having that happen. All right, uh, real quick, one other thing. I'm just going to throw this out there. I know we'll get to it again probably later on in the show. Uh, But more people than ever are treating themselves. That's what a new stat said. 2,000 Americans were asked the question, age 21 and over. Uh, And more people said, yeah, I live in the moment, 64% than typically do. And 74% said they are more focused on their future uh, compared to everything that's been happening in the past. And finally, when uh, our minds shift in a little way, 62% of us now throw more treats directly at our own faces. I like this. I think this is a good move. Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. Good luck to Andrew.
2: The Chad Benson Show.
0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots and lots of stuff to talk about as always. But you know, one of the things I enjoy a lot, and I I actually did enjoy it more when it was um, uh, Jen Psaki and not uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre. But when Peter Ducey asked a question, excuse me, to the White House press secretary, I enjoy it a lot. Uh, here is one of those said backs and forth back and forths in which Ducey said, why is a certain thing happening every single day? Why is it a confusing thing in the world of those who come across our border uh, that are definitely unvaccinated and they're fine? Uh, but if you get in a plane and try to fly into the country, we have more issues with you at times. Uh, why is that something that's still occurring? And the ans- the answer to that question was uh, predictably terrible.
3: ...protocols, I'd refer you to them. They have their own specific protocols as well. So they're two different things. They're two different things.
1: So how is it two
2: different things? Somebody unvaccinated comes over on a plane. You say that's not okay. Somebody walks into Texas or Arizona unvaccinated, they're allowed to stay.
3: That, Why? But that's not how it works. That's, like we actually no. But, I know
2: that that's not what you that's guys exactly happen, what's happening. But that is what, what is happening.
3: But that's not it's not like somebody walks over and <laughs> that's not that's, that's not exactly how
1: What's happening?
3: We well,
1: thousands of people are walking in a day. Have you been to the border? Have you seen the video that they put up on Fox News pretty consistently of people literally walking across the water and coming into our co- Have you seen this happening?
2: Some of them turn themselves over. Some of them are caught. Tens of thousands a week are not. That is what is happening.
3: So let me just lay out what we have done under this administration. We have installed new border technology and set up joint protocols with Mexico and Guatemala uh-huh. to catch more human traffickers. Yeah, yeah we have already made over three thousand arrests in the first three months. Of yeah,
1: and also I'm sorry, I'm just gonna cut her off now because now uh, the places we're going are more talking points than actually addressing the fact that we have unprecedented amounts of people coming across the border into our country and getting into our country. so much so there are so many people crossing the border illegally. Uh, that places like texas are now putting those individuals on a bus and sending them to some of the other cities like washington dc that are so for this type of immigration and if you're so for it then you shouldn't complain uh, with the people that you're trying to help or whatever it is the reason that the policy is what it is uh for some people uh in this uh world some people in the world of government uh if that's the policy then you should never complain If more individuals show up in your city, uh, need certain things from your city, uh, because other cities are saying they can't handle it anymore. Other states are saying we can't handle uh, this many people coming into our country in this way. We need a more valuable system of immigration, or we need uh, more protections. We need to have illegal immigration not be a thing that one political party is like, yeah, we're fine with that. That needs to go away and go away soon. I love how hard it was for Ducey to even get Corinne Jean-Pierre to admit that this is a thing that's occurring. Now, beyond that, during the back-and-forth that happened the other day, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre also said that Title 42 is very much in place. That is odd, since this administration is doing a lot of things to end Title 42. Um, It's weird to hear her still brag that right now in this moment— there are aspects of it that are still active.
2: Why is there a CDC requirement for people that fly here, as opposed to people that cross the southern border?
3: Look, we have talked about Title. We have talked about Title 42, right? We not, have. This
2: has nothing to do with Title 42. It is. It
3: Title is... 42 is the CDC uh, imperative. And that you is. You guys
2: got rid of it because you said the pandemic.
3: That's not, not, that is, that for. is not how it works. It is not every <laughs> title 42 is very much in place.
1: It's, it's a very odd thing again for her to say that title 42 is very much in place. It's it's a very strange uh, move uh, by the white house press secretary. Cause it's not a move that her organization, I uh, would like to be a true thing at all. All right. I want to shift gears to something else. I want to get out of the world of politics because I don't know, you might have fatigue. I have fatigue. It's boring at times. It's repetitive at times. It's a lot of things. That it need not be. Uh, so let's go to something else that's weird in our society, uh, repetitive, uh, and maybe something you love, maybe something you don't. I'm going to rail hard against this. I might have my strongest take today, my my hottest take of the day on this topic. But first, here is a whole bunch of news organizations talking about something that is upsetting me greatly.
2: Pumpkin spice latte.
0: This is a whole season and <laughs> a cup of coffee.
1: That one sent me to the moon. You know, I'm waiting for the pumpkin latte. The pumpkin spice latte or <laughs> PSL. No. And the pumpkin spice latte, have you had it? Holy cow. I'm not doing PSL. I'm never saying PSL for pumpkin spice latte. Uh, pumpkin spice lattes are back. Today is the day. Starbucks brings those back. And then everything and anything gets pumpkin spice in it. And I am anti the pumpkin spice. Uh, I'm actually born on Halloween, by the way. So I'm an October baby. I'm a Halloween baby. You'd think I'd like the pumpkin spice because it's sort of a uh, indication that we're in a fall season, and that is absolutely not true. By the way, we need more summer. We should not be doing pumpkin spice now. We should not be doing fall products now, but not everything needs pumpkin spice. Not everything tastes good with pumpkin spice, and here is my hottest take in the world of the pumpkin spice, and I meant it. I really am fired up about this topic. If things were so great, pumpkin spiced, then they'd be pumpkin spiced year round. They wouldn't need to be pumpkin spiced sometimes and then not other times. If things were so wonderful, if everything tasted so delicious when you threw some pumpkin, and I think some things do, Uh, by the way, it hurts my argument. I don't like to say it, but it is true. There are some items that do taste okay. Even the latte is fine, but it's not the most ridiculous, amazing thing you've ever had in your whole life. And now we've been doing this for years too. So I feel like the pumpkin spice thing should be as over as it's ever been. And I'm just, I'm so done with it. I'm so, I don't know. but that's me. You tell us, Uh, go to facebook.com slash Chad Benson show, or you can go to the Craig Collins show. If you want to tell me directly, Uh, I am Craig filling in for Chad uh, this week, but go to us and tell us if you love the pumpkin spice or hate it. And if you think that the whole thing is just ridiculous, I love all of this audio, though, of all of the different news organizations. And some of that, I think, is a little bit older. Uh, But a lot of it is just the same thing you're going to hear today, the same thing you're going to hear a lot of times in the next couple days as far as the let's talk about pumpkin spice being back move.
2: Pumpkin spice latte. This is a whole season and a cup
1: of coffee. That one sent me to the moon. You know, I'm waiting for the pumpkin latte. That pumpkin spice latte or PSL. And the pumpkin spice latte, have you had it? Holy cow. Oh my God, no. Oh my God, no. I hate everything about that. All right, I want to move on to other things. Uh, I mentioned this a little bit before the break a second ago. I wanted to dive a little deeper into the numbers. A lot of people are saying that they treat themselves now after everything that we went through for the last couple of years, 72% of people who do that said that they find treating themselves to be an instant mood booster. And it doesn't matter what it is. It can be something little, something big. It could be something as simplistic, it says here is like drawing a bath for yourself, if that's the kind of thing that would make you happy and not the kind of person. Maybe the bath, no bath argument is another hot take for the day. Uh, people ask if that's just you swimming around in In your dirtiness, let's say it that way, or not. But that's one of the things listed here. That's one of the things that some people mentioned. Uh, Other things are probably going out and buying yourself some stuff. Uh, Granted, with everything going on in our society, inflation and demand and whatnot being higher than supply, maybe the treat yourself is part of the problem. (laughs) Actually, the more I think about it, for $83, uh, people usually say that that's an acceptable number for a treat myself moment. Anything uh, over that is usually a no. I don't know why we get to a number as specific as 83, but that number and under, maybe it's a nice meal to have with the missus. That's something my wife and I do occasionally when we want to treat ourselves. Actually, you know what? I love that too, because sometimes I make that argument as we're sitting down, and you should not, here's a thing. I've been married like 10 years. This is a pro tip for anyone that's married less time than me, and I'm sure anyone that's been married longer than me has a better version of this pro tip that they'll dole out toward the radio to tell me how I'm doing it wrong. But sometimes if I decide to take uh, the wife out for a nice meal uh, and we do this in a way that like she's a little bit surprised maybe in how nice the meal is, uh, because sometimes that'll happen, uh, that I'll be like, hey, let me take you out. She says, "Okay," And then we go somewhere. And as we're pulling in, she's like, not this place. It's too expensive. And so I usually make that argument by the time we're seated at the table of we deserve it. There's a reason I can come up with it that you deserve a nice little treat. I deserve a nice little treat. This will be a fun night. Uh, And I usually think that that argument works better when you're at the table reading the list than if you're doing it before. That's my pro tip. I'm probably going to be told I'm wrong by a whole lot of people. And I'm probably not woke enough, uh, too, by the way, because darn it, why, how dare I surprise my wife with any kind of thing whatsoever and then pay for it out of my pocket? How how dare I do that? I've actually heard that argument before, uh, too. Uh, But I love so much of those kind of ideas, the treat yourself policy. Because, again, I think it is something that will help a lot mentally, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. Uh, to go back one more second to the um, example I gave, the real world one, of going out and eating. One of the reasons my wife hates it when I go to a fancy restaurant, and you tell us if this is true, too. I just want a lot of interaction today. I want Chad to come back next week and be like, man, people, they said a lot of things on our Twitter, our social media pages. Um But here's the thing, if you do go out to the fancy restaurant, I usually like to get the appetizer, the main course, the dessert. I like going the full thing. I like the full experience at the nice restaurant. It doesn't have to happen at the say medium scale place, but at the nicer place, I feel like I'm missing out on something if I don't go every single part of the process. And the wife also thinks that's a problem. She says to me, not when we walk into this one, you're gonna do that and this, and the price is gonna be higher. And I'm like, this is all true. All the things you said are true, but this is that's the treat yourself a moment there. And if we can get away with that for $83 for just the two of us, which is not usually the case, but hopefully can be the case sometimes, then we're doing okay. All right, a quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in, probably now texting my wife if she just heard this segment to make sure that she's not upset with me. Uh, yeah, I'm going to make sure I'm not in trouble. A quick break, a lot more. Uh, as I said, Craig Collins filling in. It's the Chad Benson Show.
3: I am not a terrorist. I am not Antifa. I am not a sex slave that wears masks.
2: <gasps> Don't be a cutie pie.
0: Probably sit around and cook some soups and eat bread and desserts and just get all fat and sassy. You're ruining my life, bud! You are not anything yet! You're listening to The Chad Benson Show.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff to talk about, as I always say. Uh, A photo has gone viral on social media uh, because a person on an airplane uh, stretched their feet out far enough for them to poke out from under the seat in front of them. Uh, It's an interesting photo to me, for sure. Uh, It's interesting when we talk so much now about the shrinking size of um, seats on planes and whether or not something will be done to prevent it from getting any smaller. Uh, As I said uh, a little bit earlier in the show, I'd been traveling recently, and yeah, uh, the plane seats are as small as they can humanly be. I feel like I just barely fit in, Uh, and I'm a regular-sized guy, I would think. Um, But what I think is so interesting about this is that if you're a tall dude, if you're someone who can poke the feet out as easily as it seems that they're happening here, uh, there is now a debate as to whether or not this is rude. Uh, A lot of people saying, of course it is. Uh, You're sitting there, you look down, there are feet under you. uh, That would not feel great. And I I tend to agree with that idea that if it were me on a flight, uh, looking down and saying to seeing these feet uh, in my own sitting space, uh, I would not be happy about that. Uh, But there are some other caveats to consider in this photo itself. No one was sitting in the middle seat that was uh, dealing with the foot poking situation. So those feet were only poking in between two people that were on the opposite two seats, but no one was actually in the chair that was, uh, again, uh, letting the person stretch out as much as they did. And I guess the person sitting behind them was an incredibly tall guy. And again, airlines are as small as they could possibly be right now. Uh, I think the argument, and many people would make it, that if you're uh, too large of a person, too tall of a person, uh, whatever it may be, uh, to feel comfortable sitting in the seat that you're assigned and you're going to go ahead and annoy other people one way or another, that you should choose to sit in a more comfy seat, that the super tall person might want to try to sit in the first class, the business class seat, uh, if they can afford that kind of thing. Of course, not everybody can. So then the other option is to just be smushed, I guess. Just sit there in the regular size uh, version of the seat without stretching out but I love that a lot of tall people came to the defense of this person, saying, "You don't know what it's like to be me. Uh, you can't handle it." 1.9 million by uh, people, by the way, viewed this video. Uh, a lot of people, again, agreeing that it's probably rude, uh, but still throwing some sort of excuse out there. I loved every part of it. All right, uh, another story that I thought was interesting: uh, people are getting uh, too comfortable with living alone, uh, according to a new study. I don't know if that, you know, already. I, I see the headline. I read the headline. I think about the headline, and I, I'm a happily married man. I would not choose to, to not live with my wife, but there was a time period where I was completely alone, no roommates, uh, especially when I was uh, in college. I was a uh, RA in college, so they gave you your own room, and there's something really great about living alone. There's something truly nice about that, about having no one else that worries about or talks about any of the things that are going on in the house. Uh, Say the amount of dishes that are stacking up inside the uh, the sink. These are things that you handle on your own time. And if you don't handle them correctly, you alone are then responsible for the consequences you make there. Uh, But I guess 38% of young adults said they would consider eating in bed to be a deal breaker. And there's a lot of other habits that when you're sharing a house with someone else, you say, this is definitely a deal breaker for me as well. Something like an untidy bathroom, for example, uh, which does make sense to me. The eating in bed thing also, I guess, makes sense to me. I'm not someone who I think has full meals uh, in the bed. Uh, they say because of crumbs and other things that probably is not the most comfortable way to sleep. Four to five Americans say uh, that the crumbs in a bed give them the crummiest night's sleep ever. Uh, I like the way that's phrased. But I do think occasionally, uh, like say if you have a TV in the bedroom and you watch a movie and you bring some popcorn with, uh, there are moments where you're gonna have a bit of a snack you can't, the, the bed can't be 100% food free because uh, there are there are moments where it's, in, even the breakfast in bed move. Uh, if you have a significant other and you've ever actually done that for them, uh, I have done it before. I'm not judging. I, I feel like that came out judgy. Like if you've ever done that for them, it's fine if you haven't. Uh, but if you ever have, you know, the joy that they get. And then actually my wife immediately gets the other thing too. They're like, oh, but there's going to be crumbs all over the bed. So then you immediately take the breakfast in bed that you sat in the lap, out of bed, and you bring it to the uh, kitchen anyway, and then you make them get out of bed earlier than maybe they wanted to. It seems like a fool's errand to do it, but there is a moment of joy there, so I think you should let that happen too. I am pro that. I wanted to five respondents reported that it's been over a month since they've gotten a perfect night's sleep, as far as this study goes. Uh, I think that that's hilariously high, actually. I don't know that a perfect night's sleep exists for a lot of people, uh, so I assume that a lot of people have not gotten one of those in a very long time. Uh, parents find themselves having trouble sleeping with their children uh, when their child wakes up, excuse me, uh, which happens on average about twice a week. So the minute that a kid is up and you're not up as a parent, uh, you you can't go back to sleep, according to the data. Uh, I'm not a parent, but I guess I kind of understand that. I get it. I can see how that could happen because you'd probably just sit there in bed thinking to yourself, like, what's that kid doing? What are they up to right now? They have an opportunity to do some things, and they think that I'm completely not a part of this picture. I'd like to know what's going on. All right, one last story, and then we will take a break in just a second. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Apparently, the new design for the iPhone 14 has leaked. There's some things out there on the internet that you can go uh, look at. I don't know if they're real or not, so I can't tell you for sure uh, that this leak is actually accurate. Uh, But I loved the fact that what it said, uh, the headline to this story in the, I guess, techie places that I go sometimes to find some of this stuff is how big of a redesign it is, how crazy, how radical the shift is in the schematics and all the different things for the next iPhone, uh, which I think will be unveiled soon. And when I looked at the picture and tell me I'm an idiot if you want to, anybody out there, it looked pretty similar to other iPhones. There There are some unique differences that maybe a lot of people wouldn't terribly notice uh, it is going to be a larger phone <laughs> than maybe other ones but i love the way we freak out about this stuff now and the way that the headline for some can read as great because it it makes it sound from the first few sentences of some of the stories about this like this phone does insane new things our minds haven't been blown by a piece of technology maybe since the original iphone came out and really kind of innovated in that field but not none of this stuff is really new and exciting anymore And it's just disappointing. Because when I read the headline, I'm like, does it like microwave food for me now? What else does it do? What other possible things could be happening in the world of this? I don't have an answer. I wish I had an answer. I'm sort of disappointed by that. Quick break, a lot more. Greg Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. This is the Chad Benson Show.
0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, Let's get right to it. Uh, Top economic advisor to the president, Jared Bernstein, was asked a difficult question on Fox News, Uh, a question I think a lot of people are wondering uh, the same answer. Uh, Why is the HEROES Act of 2003 being used to forgive student loans. Why is that specific uh, law passed for a very different reason at a very different time in our country, uh, one that can be utilized in this way? Is that even legal? I said it on the show the other day. I'll say it on the show again today and probably throughout the remainder of this week. I don't think that it is. I'm not a a legal expert, though, uh, so I will be as engaged probably as anyone in paying attention to whatever the lawsuits are that are the fallout of the decision to massively forgive a whole bunch of student loan debt uh, from a position of power that usually doesn't have that capability. Uh, Usually it is an act of Congress uh, that would need to be uh, utilized to do something like this. The president doing it unilaterally is something that will be challenged. But anyway, I digress. Back to the audio itself. The question is asked to the top economic advisor, uh, one of the top economic advisors to the president, as his answer is, well, uh, let's just say." predictably not I think what people are hoping for. I I just think that
3: people do question the authority of using the HEROES Act and using pandemic emergency. You've lifted Title 42 and the CDC restrictions are largely gone but now you're going to tell us that there's an emergency that requires these individuals who can't pay the money back to basically be you know under a Heroes act actually that, all that's a i'm tough telling thing you for a that, lot of people to understand
1: actually all i'm telling huh? you is that the legal authority to grant debt relief uh, exists under this well, legislation maybe challenge that be challenged. That I, think may be challenged. That, I think that was your question here's what here's what the thing is <laughs> i think that's what your question was i think that's what you were trying to have me tell you uh should that be a legal authority that the president can utilize and is it something that actually is defined well in the heroes act of 2003 something that was designed to forgive military debt at a time of of um emergency in our country a state of emergency in our country uh that was similar to what happened on 9-11 not necessarily years after uh certainly uh, a good amount of time after uh the fallout of the pandemic the the heightened part of the emergency part of COVID 19 Uh, And a part in which the government got a lot of things very, very wrong, according to a lot of the experts, a lot of the people, and even the CDC now, saying they got those things wrong. So should we have even been under the state of emergency the way we were in it? I'm sure the answer is probably still yes, uh, but that's something that's somewhat debatable, I guess, or uh, at least uh, valuably uh, something we could talk about in the context of all these things. But is it inappropriate to find what the Democrats believe to be a power of the purse being handed to the president at times of great need. And again, intended for forgiving those of uh, our military who are in some sort of financial struggle, not forgiving just any sort of debt for anyone. And honestly, and by the way, and I'll keep saying this about this and then we'll move on. We'll talk about uh, some other things. When you look at Nate Silver or anyone else that did the data that pulled all the numbers on the amount of people that are going to benefit from the student loan debt forgiveness and how many of them are likely to be Democratic voters, and even more specifically voters who don't actually vote in as many elections. They don't actually utilize uh, their voting power as much as, say, uh, most people really should. Everybody should go vote. It's something I say a lot on the show, and actually I wouldn't complain about politics if I wasn't voting, that you got to do both of those things at the very least. Uh, But I I do think what's interesting about this, again, is how smart of a move it is politically. Uh, And I only mean this in one context, because there's a whole lot of Democrats who are upset about this as well, but for energizing a group of voters that it is tough to get to actually show up at the ballots, tough to actually get, especially in a midterm election, to actually cast a a vote in favor on a political side. So just to say it plainly, and then I will actually move on, Democrats don't care about giving you student loan debt forgiveness, whoever gained it that's listening to the show, because they care about you. They don't want your life to be better. That's not the reason they did this. They did this because all of their data screams to them. The same way that anybody on a Republican side of the aisle says uh, something about forgiving this debt or figuring out a way to say lower taxes on these individuals, or even more specifically, as Republicans or Democrats go, literally any talking point, you could pick any talking point out of thin air and say, why does that one side say this? Likely some data, some research said that the voters somewhat agree or very strongly agree with the thing they're saying. So that's why they go. even uh, Biden right now is trying to be harder on Trump, harder on uh, the MAGA people that he wants to go after now, voters in our country, that he told us when he was inaugurated, he would try to reach across the aisle and unite the country. He's now going to be stronger in his world, calls it, calling people uh, semi-fascists, he's doing that because data said Democrats would like that. But anyway, to, to finish the point, Democrats forgave your student loans to get you to vote for them, to buy your vote, to pay ten dollars to $20,000 per person for those younger people, those people in college debt, to go out and vote. And the reason why I think it's so significant of a move is that if the challenge in court works, if Republicans are the ones that take away uh, that student loan debt forgiveness, I think it does make it tremendously likely that a lot of people who thought they had ten dollars to $20,000 for free from the government are going to go vote to try to buy that ten dollars to $20,000 back or win it back by voting for a politician. That'll immediately be the talking point. It'll sweep the Democratic Party. If a challenge works, a whole lot of Democrats will start saying, I will forgive your student loan if you put me in power uh, throughout the country. And actually, I think a lot of people will respond negatively to that uh, too, as I said, but I think it's all a part of the plan. All right, we are actually moving on now. I want to talk about this Uh, This is uh, Dr. Uh, Christina Greer. Uh, She pops up all the time on MSNBC. Uh, She said something that even I think she doesn't understand the significance of. I even saw her retweet this video uh, that was put up by someone who's definitely not on the same side of the political aisle she's on. But I love the fact that she's proud of her hit on MSNBC and what she said. Here is for context. She's talking about the election, how important it is. Uh, She's a political scientist, a political science uh, teacher uh, at Fordham. Uh, She is someone who pops up, as I said, a lot on television and has pretty similar takes all the time. Uh, But what she said has value. She doesn't realize. Here we go.
2: What is at stake? It's not just about inflation and economics and gas prices. It is about the soul of our democracy. I know know, my students get tired of hearing this, but every election is the most important election.
1: Okay, that's the thing that's so important to what she just said a second ago. I'll play it again. It's not the... This is the most important election of our lives. That's a Democratic talking point. It happens all the time. We're here to protect the, the democracy that we care about. We're here to protect the soul of our country. That's all crap. None of that matters. We've all heard that before. But she, a, a teacher at college around young voting individuals, uh, having her say that her students are sick of this talking point to me, is valuable. Inflation and economics
2: and gas prices, it is about the soul of our democracy. I know, you know, my students get tired of hearing this, but every election is the most important election. <laughs> but in this instance, it absolutely <laughs> is. If we don't get 2022 correct. Yeah,
1: yeah, okay, I'll stop you again. Uh, The The talking points are coming back. I love that she's like i know they get sick of me telling them every single time that i wake up i'm like this is the most important election of your lives uh this is the one this is the one that matters and they've heard it all before and again these people just got the right to vote they just became old enough to vote a few years ago Uh, they have probably voted in just one presidential election uh, if they decided to go ahead vote in said election Uh, this might be the second time for uh, some of those students that they'd be voting in a midterm election maybe even the first time Uh, They'd be voting at all if she teaches any freshmen, any of this stuff. Uh, But I just think it's so interesting that someone that that hands on, that politically one sided teaching uh, class as a professor at college can reference the fact that her own students are sick of the talking point. You wonder when it actually sinks in, when it actually hits that, hey, wait a minute maybe a lot of people and even young people are starting to get the message, starting to understand how much crap some of this stuff is. All right, one other thing I wanted to talk about totally outside of the world of politics again, and then we'll take another break. I saw this story about the kinds of things that people steal out of restaurants. I thought it was funny. Of course, it's not funny to the small businesses, the restaurants themselves. I'm not encouraging you steal stuff, by the way. Uh, Those restaurants struggled enough. They've dealt with so many things over the last few years that taking, like, say, their coffee cups is just a slap in the face they don't need. But the reason I thought this was funny is how crazy it gets for some of these higher-end restaurants, some of these higher-end businesses that did uh, interviews for this uh, story that's out. I think the New York Post put it out. Uh, One place actually had um, unique uh, knives. They had unique steak knives that were branded for the company. Those would get stolen all the time. So they went away from branding their steak knives. Another company had a firebird cocktail glass that looked like a bird uh, and that got stolen all the time. But here are the ones that are truly ridiculous because like people steal all the different condiments. Some people steal like the little uh, containers, I guess a salt container is one that one restaurant said was very popular. Uh, but here are my two favorite ones on the list. People were stealing trendy Pina Pro lamps. These are full lamps. They're, they're like standing base tower thing, all of that from a restaurant in New York City. I don't know how that was happening. I don't know how you take like an entire light out with you, uh, just a full uh, standing lamp. And you're like, yeah, this is mine now. And then the final one was someone stole an art piece that was actually like a, a, a outfit. It was an embroidered lingerie outfit by an artist that was behind a window of glass. Someone somehow stole that from a restaurant too. I don't, again, know how these things are happening. I know the temptation Uh, when you're in the restaurant maybe a a place you're traveling to be like man i'd like a memento i'd like something uh, from this place to remember it especially if say i had a good meal you know what a good move is buy a thing buy something from that restaurant they probably have some sort of cups or hats or something for sale just buy one of those things and don't take something else and actually you know what? it kind of reminded me of one other thing i'll just say this quickly uh, and then i guess we'll take a break i went to uh, school in chicago i went to college in chicago and I remember that some of the kids in classes uh, that I was – some of the, the kids that I went to school with uh, would steal things from the CTA. That's the public transit, the train uh, in Chicago. They'd steal, like, giant maps that were put up in these, um, in these trains to put them up as decorations in their apartments, in their, their dorms. And it was the stupidest thing I've ever seen anyone proud of for two reasons. And a lot of people actually thought it was cool. They're like, whoa, you got the map in your house. The first one is how mean of a move that is. If you're taking all the maps out of one um, uh, one train, uh, and somebody gets on the train and has no idea where they're going, I know the phone and stuff can help, but there are some people who are probably uniquely lost now at the uh, because of my uh, friends in college doing the dumb things that they did. But beyond that too, and this might be overly harsh to go uh, this hard against this sort of thing, uh, beyond that too is how difficult it was. You had to like break the plastic and everything and then you had to like uh, carry this big giant map with you all the way out off of the train and hope no one yelled at you. But a lot of those workers at the CTA didn't care anymore. So they weren't the ones yelling. I'm sure there were videos. I'm sure some people would get in trouble today if they did it, but it was just such a dumb thing to steal and something people were so proud of. They're like, look, I got this little piece of Chicago Uh, that literally I didn't need to have at all. And I imagine someone somewhere sells one of those things as a poster. You could just buy it that way. But darn it, no, I'm stealing it. That's going to be better. Uh, This was all before TikTok too, by the way. So I think we've only gotten it worse uh, since then. A quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show.
0: Serving up talk radio, medium rare, and dripping with irony. It's Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Uh, the A couple of the former girlfriends of Hugh Hefner have a podcast. I'm going to get to some of the things they're saying in their podcast in just a second, and I have a quick reaction to those. But I just wanted to throw that out there to start as a warning uh, for anyone that might not want to hear about the, the Playboy Bunny podcast uh, that's coming up in a minute. But before I do that, a couple other quick things. Uh, the first one is this homeowner. Uh, this guy went viral on social media because I guess he caught someone uh, trying to break into his home. He caught an intruder. And instead of calling the cops, he had a unique move for the young intruder in his house, a move I would not recommend you make. A lot of people should not do this. It has gone viral on social media, though. He had the guy clean his bathroom and he threatened the entire time that the guy was cleaning his bathroom that if he stopped cleaning the bathroom or if he missed any spots that he was calling the cops and having him arrested for breaking into his home. Here's a little bit of what that sounded like.
2: Bottles, there's some stuff right by the bottle. Right, hold
1: on one more time. Let's start that from the beginning. I had a technical issue.
2: I still see some spots okay, right there. Okay,
1: okay,
2: I see you, I see you. You might want to move those bottles. There's some stuff right by the bottles. bottles
1: this is not my hair
3: right now,
2: right? It could be mine, I don't care. It's either <laughs> that or the cops, bro. You came into my house.
1: <laughs> it's either that or the cops, man. You came into my house and this is not my hair. I don't care whose hair it is. Go ahead and take it. Again, I would not recommend you do this. If someone breaks into your home, uh, the right move is to call the police not to get them to clean the bathroom, Uh, but this is something he did, filmed it, put it up on social media. A lot of people thought it was a very hilarious thing to see, and it is funny to watch someone again who did something uh, bad immediately deal with some kind of consequence for it. That consequence is usually better in my mind. Maybe I'm being overly worried about this. I'm sure I'm not. Uh, That consequence in my mind is being hauled off by the cops. All right, uh, two other quick things. Both of them, I guess, somewhat more adult in nature, although not totally intentionally, and I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, The first one is an Italian Olympian. Her name is Linda Cruti. Uh, She is 28 years old, and she won eight medals recently at a European Aquatic Championship thing that took place in Rome. Uh, She went to Instagram, her social media platform of choice, and she posted a photo. The reason I'm telling you all these pieces is what inevitably happens after she put up the photo. So like anybody that probably won a lot of medals, she wanted to celebrate them and show them off to all of her social media fans. So what she did was a handstand outside in front of like a, a very picturesque beach location on some rocks somewhere right next to the ocean but she did it um in a bikini in a thong so it's her in a handstand and she draped all the medals over her legs so all you're looking at if you look at the photo is an upside down lady doing a split uh with eight medals across her legs and thong bathing suit and she was shocked she was surprised she was appalled by the amount of people who sexualized that image, this is really what she said. She actually even screenshotted a couple of the comments and said how upset she was that it was supposed to be an artistic photo and not supposed to be something that anyone could take as, as sexual or crude. And that it was the fault of the viewer, the fault of the person looking at a photo that a woman doing a handstand in a thong bikini upside down uh, with metals draped across her legs in any way, shape, or form could be thought of as sexual. I can't get through this. I can't get through this topic without talking about this. I mean, there is there is a point where any of those arguments, any of those conversations make sense. If a woman puts up a photo and maybe like, you know, there's something that that's a little bit more sexual than she intended it to be, um, that I feel bad for the woman and the amount of comments that she can get. And then there's a whole bunch of photos that are essentially what we call thirst traps in our society. Uh, where you put something up that's about as sexual as you can possibly make it without it truly being just you starting an, affa- uh, an account on one of those like fan page uh, sites and and instead of doing that uh, you then complain if anybody thinks this like this is as close to something that is hilariously upsetting to her as i can humanly uh, imagine all right the last one with almost no time left is the playboy bunnies have complained that hugh hefner wasn't a nice boyfriend i am not shocked or surprised by that information uh, whatsoever uh, and I'm surprised that they are. But then it, maybe we'll get to more of that later. Greg Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
2: The Chad Benson Show.
0: independent thoughts, independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Lots of stuff, as I always say, to talk about. Let's get right into it, though. One of the first things that I think is very interesting right now, a horrible story about a young football player uh, who got shot. A kid just drafted into the NFL playing for the Washington Commanders or some people still call them the Washington Redskins. Uh, But the young football player, um, uh, Robinson Jr., uh, essentially was trying to prevent a carjacking from taking place and uh, wrestled one gun away from one individual before being shot by another one. Uh, He is now in the hospital and, according to the team, doing okay. Uh, His injuries are not life-threatening. I'm not sure how significant they're going to be on his ability to play this year or in general. Uh, to play uh, football. I, I hope and I think a lot of people hope that they won't have much of an impact. I don't know how they can't. Getting shot feels like something you don't bounce back from uh, very quickly. Uh, but it is interesting that this young person uh, who was starting the beginning of his NFL career and uh, likely to be a pretty important part of the team is now in a hospital dealing with being shot in the new city he lives in. Uh, Washington, D.C., though, is just a place that's rampant with crime. Uh, there has been story after story and local news there. Uh, talking about how crazy it is. Uh, This is one local resident who popped up on NBC4 the other day, uh, talking about how there have been murders in workplaces, there have been murders in some of the housing places uh, that exist in his community. He sees people every single day doing things that he believes are suspicious. He knows that the uh, politicians in the area know about all this stuff. No one does anything, essentially, and I'll let him say it, Um, DC is not really a safe place to be.
2: One of the um, artists in the building walked out to his car and saw two bodies face down on the sidewalk. So we knew that someone was obviously dead or seriously injured, which we found out now, I guess they are dead, Um, but it's crazy. I mean, these young kids sit out there all day long. Um, It seems like drug issues. They're always going up to cars. A group of them, 15, to 20 of them all day long. The mayor knows about this, but what's being done? The apartment building I live on off of H Street, we just had a person murdered in a building, a brand new building off of H Street, person murdered at work. I get it. Murders at home, you get murders. D.C. is just not a safe city. I mean,
1: I, I can't even fathom um, the uh, idea of uh, everywhere you go and not not because like I've, I've lived in some dangerous cities myself, too, but everywhere you go, that every single moment uh, you could potentially be harmed. And that the politicians don't care. And there's a lot of places in this country that are like that right now, where the politicians message and it's worked a little way away from the moment when they were saying defund the police, defund the police. Democrats realized that that was not a intelligent talking point, not for the American people, but not for our society as well. But you have a lot, I think, of political leaders in a lot of states and a lot of cities that are still in denial as much as they possibly can be. And I can't believe it's enough denial to ignore these things are happening uh, about all of the different conversations necessary to prevent violence like this, to prevent these sort of horrible things from continuing to happen every single day in so many communities throughout our country. Uh, And they just don't have those talking. They just don't have those um, conversations. What I'm talking about is an enhancement to law enforcement, an enhancement to cracking down on violent crime, to making those who do these sort of things aware that they will be punished. If you go to other places in the world, uh, again, I continue to reference Mexico specifically. uh, One thing that happens very, very often, people get away with all kinds of uh, violent crime. Uh, No one ever really investigates or or finds people responsible for a lot of these things. And I know in places like the south side of Chicago, uh, a lot of shootings wind up being completely unsolved. Uh, And that, I think, increases the likelihood in these areas, in these communities, in these places in our country where the politicians are saying the thing that they're saying for crime to get worse, not better. So the talking points just need to tremendously change. The actions need to tremendously change. Or you're going to have more victims and maybe even high profile ones like an NFL player starting out their career. Uh, Brian Robinson Jr. deserved better by the politicians in the community he moved to when he got drafted to play in the NFL. And right now, if anyone is to blame, I think, other than, of course, those responsible for the violence itself, it is the lack of action by those in power, those with capability to crack down on this sort of thing. All right. I want to move on to more of the conversations happening in the world of the MAGA Republicans and the Biden administration, the new talking points, the new attacks. Uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre answered a question yesterday, the White House press secretary, about something that Lindsey Graham had talked about, something that a lot, I think, of people have talked about if you indict. Uh, the former president, Um, if you actually go after him in a legal sense and accuse him of significant crimes, crimes against our country, when not only is he likely to be a political um, player this year, he is likely to run for the office of president. But beyond that, he still holds tremendous influence with a lot of people there. There will be a reaction to that. I'm not saying that in a threat mentality. I'm not saying that because I think that that's the kind of thing you want to see in our society, But a lot of people will feel like they have no other option. A lot of people in this country who want to vote Trump back into the White House will feel as though the government is taking that option away from them. That's something our government simply should not do, and not in a situation that has so many gray areas to it, at least with the information we've seen so far. Even the heavily redacted affidavit that came out demonstrated time and again how the treatment for Trump has been different than the treatment for Hillary Clinton on a similar set of charges, granted with maybe a little bit of nuance as Trump is the former president who would have had the capability to declassify and have access to all of the things that he has with him now uh, or had with him before the raid. He was also working directly with the FBI, putting locks on doors when they asked him to. There was so much cooperation that to go immediately to the moment of raid seemed to be utterly illogical, but I digress. Here is Corinne Jean-Pierre answering a question about the threat, and I think this is the way that she takes it, of people actually going to the streets of protesting, rioting, whatever the word might be, uh, that would occur if you take legal action against someone that is trying to once again be the president of our country and has a whole lot of people that support him in this country.
3: And then uh, Senator Lindsey Graham said last night there would be riots in the street if former President Trump is prosecuted for taking classified government documents to Mar-a-Lago. What is the White House response to that? So, um, we have, you know, we have seen MAGA Republicans attack our democracy. We have seen MAGA Republicans take away our rights, uh, make threats of violence, uh, including this.
1: Take away our rights, by the way. She's referencing the Supreme Court as MAGA Republicans. That, all right, let's continue.
3: And that is uh, what the president was referring to. Uh, when you all asked me uh, last week about the semi-fascism comment. And he was clear, not all Republicans. There are some mainstream Republicans. He mentioned uh, Governor uh, of Maryland, Larry Hogan.
1: Uh, yeah, there are, a couple, there are a couple guys that we like. Uh, for the most part, we hate everybody, though, and we want them to know that they're uh, semi-fascists and that if uh, they do uh, get mad, if we try to um, go ahead and indict them. And by the way, like that's the only outcome I think you can do. I don't think that as a as a um, organization at all, the FBI can go to the extent of raiding the home of a former president and then not indict him. And something I have talked about before in this show or just in general, any of the places I pop up, is that there's been a lot of jokes for years out there that you can get our legal system to indict a ham sandwich. So you can, you can get anything you want to happen kind of in these, you can't convict the ham sandwich. It'll probably get some sort of A plea bargain deal, or it'll get off without any sort of a crime committed, as long as the legal team for the ham sandwich is great. But I I digress. (laughs) I love that idea. Um, I, I think it's so interesting that if you don't go that road, if you go the the amount of steps you've gone, and then don't take it to its eventual conclusion, the idea that it was politically motivated will be the prevailing sentiment for pretty much everyone. I think even Democrats would start to think, "Wait a minute, they didn't actually they didn't do anything." They raided his home and they didn't take the additional step. That seems inappropriate. That seems like it went too far. And so then in that moment that is likely to occur at some point in our society, if voters get mad, if they think that their uh, freedom is being taken away to vote a specific person into office, I don't know how you tell them they're wrong. I I honestly don't know how you say that that part of the process is simply inaccurate uh, when they would, and it's not that I actually think Trump would get convicted, by the way, That's a whole different thing. That's a whole thing for a different day uh, and a different amount of conversation where we have maybe a lot more information that they don't intend to give us right now. Uh, But I just think it's so significant that that conversation is out there and that the politicians, the left, want to ignore any possibility, any sort of risks involved in the political action that because I think it's inherently political in and of itself. Let's say that you actually had... Uh, you raided the home of the former president of Trump or whoever it is. Let's use a a non, um, uh, uh, let's use a, a fake example because I don't want people being on on certain sides because they're like, yeah, Trump would do that. But let's just use like the next whoever is in office, some other guy. And they're literally like holding the nuclear football when you raid into their home and you're like, hey man, you can't can't keep that. That seems like something you shouldn't have. And maybe they're even like talking about it with other people. Even in that situation, there'd still be a political element to raiding someplace to get a thing back. Even if it's 100% accurate, 100% valid, every step is being taken the right way. It's the reason we've never seen this before in our society, the reason we've never seen it before. And again, I I reference this. Nixon was pardoned, by the way. Anytime we reference other things that happened in some sort of fashion, whatever it might be, that we feel are some way close to this. And I saw early debates about whether or not Biden should Uh, just go ahead and pardon Trump uh, of any of the crimes potentially committed here uh, that we, again, have no idea what actually was found or what actually occurred. But the the whole process here is just so fundamentally flawed that it's why it's almost something that, uh, well, it was something that had never happened before and something that if it does uh, go any steps further, I can't help but believe that a whole lot of Americans would be very upset by that. I'm shocked that the version of conversation, uh, and I shouldn't be, Uh, out of those political places is, yeah, well, you know, there's some crazy people, but a whole lot of reasonable people that won't act this way. I think a whole lot of reasonable people would be upset is what I'm trying to say. Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show.
0: Irreverence? Um, like, yeah. So what? It's the Chad Benson Show.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, This next topic is one that I can't believe actually happened. Although there's been uh, story after story recently, uh, I make it sound like there's one every single day, there's not that many, of people doing real inappropriate stuff on airplanes, specifically of using AirDrop. Uh, That is a, a thing that you can do with an Apple phone to another Apple phone or even Apple computer, whatever it is, product, to like send something that someone doesn't want uh, to their uh, device. And what you're airdropping, and it's only in close proximity to other people with Apple devices, in this case, I guess, was naked photos. Uh, somebody on a flight is airdropping naked photos to everybody else on the flight, and the pilot finds out, and the pilot sent a message over the PA system that essentially was I'm going to turn this plane around if this doesn't stop here it is real quick from a Southwest Airlines flight recently Hello.
2: so here's the deal this continues while we're on the ground I'm gonna to have to pull back to the gate everybody's gonna to have to get off we're gonna to have to get security involved And it's vacation that's going to be ruined. So you folks, whatever that airdrop thing is, quit sending naked pictures. Let's get yourself to Cabo.
1: (laughs) Quit sending naked pictures. Let's get yourself to Cabo, uh, where I don't know what's going to happen there. That's horrible, by the way. The idea that someone would be like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do on a flight. I'm just going to send a bunch of photos to a lot of other people, and this is going to be a fun time. But I love the fact that the pilot was like, I'm turning this whole thing around. Uh, That person, I assume, is a parent. Uh, Maybe a parent of young children right now uh, dealing with a lot of things that are similar. And I guess that might have actually worked to stop the airdropping photo attempts uh, from continuing. Uh, But don't be this person. Uh, Don't be any semblance of this person at all uh, whatsoever in the near future at any time in your life. Please, no one be this person. All right. I want to play this audio, too. Uh, This is Trace Atkins. Uh, Trace Atkins is talking about a new TV show called Monarch that he's in uh, with Susan Sarandon. Uh, he actually talks about their first scene together. I guess the first time they they met for the show, uh, they had to get uh, fairly um, intimate uh, pretty quickly. Uh, he'll describe it in more detail, but I thought it was a pretty funny way he talked about it. And pay specific attention to the use of the word kid. Trace Atkins says this kid in the audio I'm about to play. I'm not sure if he's describing himself or Susan Sarandon, but either individual is probably thrilled to be called kid. Uh, but here we go.
0: Well, I was terrified. The very first thing that we did, our first day, we had to make out on a private jet. Here's this kid, you know, I, I haven't done a lot of stuff, and all of a sudden, I'm making out with Susan Sarandon on a plane. Yeah, it was surreal. Very quickly, I realized that she's such a professional. She's going to carry the load. So when you do things with her, you're not going to do anything that she hasn't seen or heard. No. And when I realized that, that she's got this, I became just very comfortable. Enjoyed every second
1: that I spent with her. <laughs> I love the way that ends. I enjoyed every minute of making out with Susan Sarandon uh, the first time I met her. Like, it was great. And I think it's fairly obvious that the kid he's talking about is himself there, which is a nice move. Trace Atkins is 60 years old and considers himself a kid. Uh, I think we should all probably feel the same way, no matter how old we get. But I just loved every part of that uh, audio that went viral, too. Because he's like, man, this is weird. It's, I haven't done a whole lot in the world of acting, I assume, is what he's talking about. Unless he's making a much bigger uh, announcement for us, uh, something that's uh, more surprising. You know what? Actually, I, this is terrible, how my brain works. I just was reminded a second ago, uh, based on the joke I was trying to make about Trace Atkins, and whether or not he's telling us more uh, than he meant to about his, his own personal life, Uh, but the She-Hulk TV show uh, that is on uh, Disney Plus that is overly woke, and I think I just referenced this a little bit yesterday, and I'm a huge fan of comic book stuff, comic book movies, TV shows, all the things that Marvel has pumped out. I do like it. And there are other examples now of like woke moments in some of the movies and TV shows that they're making that are, I guess, kind of ignorable. They're annoying, but maybe not something that makes you not want to watch the show. The whole premise of She-Hulk, by the way, and I just want to explain this quickly before moving on to the reason that Trace Atkins reminded me of the show because I am still watching it. The whole premise of the show is that uh, the female uh, Hulk can control all of the things better than the male Hulk did, uh, essentially doesn't need that training montage to be a more valuable superhero, can from jump uh, do anything she wants with her power because she's a woman and because Hulk is someone that's angry and that's how you control the power, by controlling the anger. And as a woman, she just gets that better than a man ever could. I don't even know if I'd want to make the argument that that's completely untrue. The only thing I'd like to say about it is how ridiculously woke it is for the premise of a TV show about a Hulk creature. And the Hulk creature that was completely uncontrollable by the male character for a majority of its run in television and movies, but 100% under control for a lady. But I digress. The other reason that I wanted to mention this is is that in an episode of the show, and this went viral, they talked about whether or not uh, Steve Rogers, Captain America, had ever um, been intimate with anyone <laughs> before. And I guess the show acknowledged that he had, and people lost their minds. Uh, I, well, not a lot of people, probably a very small subset <laughs> of people cared at all, but I thought that was so wildly entertaining. Not the the thing that gets referenced in the show, but the fact that people would would care about something like that and talk about it on social media, Because we oftentimes, and I use these examples whenever I find them, overly value, and I don't think a lot of people do this, maybe some companies do this and some individuals do this, the insight that we get, say, from social media into what people think, what people believe, what the popular opinion on any topic might be, and we just have to take the step back and remind ourselves that a whole lot of those people who are up in arms and screaming and yelling about things that happen in our society, things they don't pay attention to well enough to understand fully, also really cared about whether or not captain america died a virgin there's no other way to say it they really cared about that and the answer by the way according to the tv show was no he did not in case you were wondering but that's what got people up in arms that's what got people uh, talking uh, in the last few days in the world of that sort of thing and i just think it's healthy to remember this every so often quick break a lot more craig collins filling in on the chad benson show
0: independent life. This is Chad Benson.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Thrilled to be with you. Uh, Let's talk about this California bill that was approved on Monday and now, if signed by Governor Newsom, uh, will make a significant change to just what the legal system would be capable of doing to doctors that the California politicians say are providing misinformation in the world of the vaccine, in the world of the decision-making of everyday Americans now. Uh, apparently, even if you're a doctor who truly believes in your position, uh, and granted, places like the CDC have admitted that they weren't as open-minded as they should have been in having conversations with doctors with opposing views. They were too narrow, too focused in some of this stuff. Uh, but this bill essentially would allow uh, the government to tell some uh, some uh, doctors that they are providing misinformation and it could strip them of their license. This does include, according to a lot of the reactions of it so far, if say a pediatrician were to tell a parent that their child doesn't need a vaccine uh, for whatever medical reason, a person might provide that information to a uh, to a family. What is so surreal about this move, what is so surreal about this idea is that it no longer allows the, the uh, professionals the scientists, the the people who are providing the information in the first place to be as respected as so many for so long said, let's follow the science. And I know they didn't do that a whole bunch, uh, but essentially they said, let's listen to, and one of the, the biggest talking points, and I actually picked this up. I've actually said this myself because I truly believe it. The best way to get information on whether or not you should do something, anything, not just the COVID vaccine, but literally anything, In the world of medicine is to have a trusted family doctor, uh, someone that you know, someone that maybe you've known for a while, and ask them medical questions and get their expertise and opinion on it. And here's the reason you do it with someone you know well, uh, just like any friend you know well, you should be able to push back. You should be able to say, even though they're the expert in the room and you're not, well, wait a minute, I heard this and this though, can you help me a little bit more understand these things? And whatever their advice is, whether they say get the vaccine, don't get it, uh, don't get your fifth, fourth shot, whatever shot we're on uh, now, and I, I've had like three, um, so I'm not trying to be anti-vaccine per se. I'm not sure that I need any more. And a lot of the science, if you dive into it, and I, I love I love this too, by the way, what I'm about to say, I've said on some other radio platforms before, and I get the instant message from the, the listener, from somebody that's like, how dare you spread misinformation about COVID, about vaccine? How dare you do that? How dare you tell us anything about why you maybe shouldn't get uh, a third, fourth booster shot uh, in the world of the vaccines. And I just actually look up the data and then talk to the people in my life that are experts in this and and understand the position that is had on this and the reason for the debate about so much of this stuff. And that's what I provide here on any radio show I'm on. And I, I have gotten vaccines, so I love when the Vaccine Pro listener uh, screams at me about being anti-vaccine specifically, but the the information is much different than it was early on or at least much less definitive. Uh, maybe we've just gained a lot more information. Maybe the likelihood that most people have gotten COVID at this point or are likely to get it no matter what they do is a su- substantial version of why uh, the conversation has actually shifted even in the medical communities. And I'm not saying that I made the right decision, by the way. I'm just saying the decision I made because of what winds up happening. But this is just wrong. This idea in California to make this a punishable offense for a doctor to give their medical opinion, their expert opinion, however they formed it, whatever information they looked at, whatever uh, data and research they chose to believe in, that's what doctors do all the time. Right now in our society, on an issue that's much less, I guess, valuable politically than the COVID conversation still somehow is to some politicians out there in the world, like Newsom in California. I can go to a doctor and get one opinion on any medical thing and then go to a different doctor and get a different opinion because essentially the world of practicing medicine, opinion is a part of it. Opinion is an end result of it. I'm not going to say this as if it's actually instructing uh, how I think about the world of medicine, but even the TV show House uh, demonstrated that people can sometimes think Uh, Different things. I know that that's not a realistic portrayal of how it actually works. I just think it's interesting uh, that you can get a much less dramatic, much less everything is lupus uh, version of a conversation if you go to two different doctors about something going on, something you're dealing with. Hey, I, I got this pain here, or this is somehow happening with me. What do you think this is? One doctor could say, I think you're fine. I think it's nothing. And another doctor could say, Well, I'm worried about it. Let's go ahead and do this additional test. I don't know why we now need to legislate out that version of conversation from on the ground medical professionals uh, in a place like California. But apparently the politicians there think they have the right to do that. All right. A couple other quick things. First one, uh, former President Trump went on a rant on a uh, truth social. Uh, that's actually what a lot of people are calling it. You don't have to call it a rant if you don't want to. I don't know what it is because it's typed. I, I don't know if you can rant uh, in, a, in typed out things that you put up on social media platforms. You can put a lot of text there. Uh, But again, I don't really know. Like, I wonder how he's speaking it as he's typing it. Maybe he's calm, cool, and collected, even when he does the all caps moments. I don't know. Uh, But here's the thing. Uh, In the conversation he had uh, with his followers on his social media platform, he insinuated that he should be installed directly as the president or an emergency election should be held to potentially make him the president again. Uh, One of the other things that is very interesting about this, even if there is a reaction on his platform from followers that um are interested in this idea that he's throwing out there is that a lot of media outlets are saying that even like fox news is ignoring it and i love that that statement is out there even fox news ignores trump's claim that he needs to be reinstated as president uh, because it does demonstrate say a one thing Uh, and i think this is a very polarizing thing and darn it i'm going to talk about it i'm not afraid of hitting this topic and by the way this is craig collins filling in on the chad benson show so if you get mad don't get mad at him Uh, But please don't complain enough to let me not come back. Uh, But here's the thing I think. I think these are the moments where a lot of more sensible Republicans dislike the former president. These are moments where sensible Republicans, if that's what you want to call them. And I'm not saying that believing that some sort of fraud could have happened in the election is crazy or unsensible. I actually think there's a lot of validity in contemplating that. In an election that had so much mail-in uh, voting, more than any other election ever had, and a lot of places that installed it last minute to deal with what we were going through, there, there is a valuable conversation about whether or not our election was protected enough by any potential, I wouldn't even call it fraud, but, but changes in how, let's say this, this is an example I always give out. Man, I'm, I'm falling in the rabbit hole, and I'm going to dig myself out in just a second. But I always give this example out for whether or not this is wrong. Let's say that you have a family of five. Uh, let's say that everybody is a voting age um, and one of the people in the family cares deeply about politics. The other people do not care. And the one person who cares deeply knows the other family members don't care. Let's say that that person gets the mail-in ballots to their home, the one that cares deeply, and goes ahead and says, yep, we need five. I'm going to fill these out for my family members. Everybody needs to vote in the election. And then that person asks the other people in the family, "Are you guys voting in this presidential election?" And they're like, "No, we don't. We don't really care." What if that person takes the additional step of filling out all the ballots for all five of the family members and mailing them in and casting all five votes the way that that person wanted to vote? Is that fraud? Is that wrong? Could that have happened in this past election? My answer is, it's not necessarily fraud, uh, although it. it is very, very close since you cast ballots for other people. and those people aren't aren't you. I just don't think they'd actually um, try to throw their f- family member under the bus for that. They'd probably not. But I think that could have happened a lot, essentially, is what I'm trying to say. And I think that could have potentially eventually had a significant impact in an election where a lot of people voted, more people than have voted in any other election in the history of our country. Are all of those voting numbers authentic? Yeah, but are is there some nuance there? Uh, maybe. Anyway, I digress. Back to the other thing. I don't think that the election was was stolen from the former president. I, I've never said that. I've never supported that idea on this show. Even in the example I just gave, I don't know how significant of an impact all of those things could really have. Uh, but I do think it's a bad way of trying to go about getting yourself back in the position of being the leader of our country to demand that it happen in a way that it would never ha- it would never happen. Uh, the way he's, and by the way, the reason Trump was saying he deserves this, he believes, is because of the Hunter Biden laptop story and how much bigger it's gotten. How Mark Zuckerberg seemed to reference that the FBI did have influence in telling places like Facebook to bury this story. And he's right about that. He is also right about the idea that people were influenced by the decision making of, say, news organizations or the FBI, whoever it was. Uh, that buried the Hunter Biden story. And even Bill Maher, I have audio of that that we might play in a little bit. Uh, And I know Bill Maher now dabbles in the world of a conservative point or two every so often, then dives back into the other side of the aisle, has said time and again that even mainstream media has admitted that they buried the Hunter Biden story and that, of course, it had an impact. Of course, it had value. If it was taken seriously, it would have had a detrimental impact on Biden's chances to win an election. It, it just would have. That should have been a, a silver bullet type of moment, and it just wasn't. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you get to rerun the election. That doesn't mean that all those different uh, organizations are in on the big lie or on in on fraud, whatever it might be, to the degree that causes you to lose an election. And I would just say this, if I was advising the former president, go ahead and win the next one. I don't know if, you know what, here, the last thing I'll say on this, and I, I had another topic I totally blazed past it because I fell in the rabbit hole. It's happening. It's a it's a Tuesday rabbit hole for me, uh, to say the least. But I wonder if actually running twice in a row as a president is not a smart move. And I, I genuinely mean this. Give me a second to try to lay this out. I think Trump has had more political value for a couple reasons uh, over the last few years. Enough political value that many believe that he was politically raided by the FBI, which is a height of political value that I don't think many people ever reach at all, uh, that the other side is so afraid of you that they could attempt to do something like that. And I don't know for sure that happened. I'm gonna throw that caveat out there until I know all the details. Uh, But I would say that having uh, a term in office of four years and then having a term where it's not you in office, but you can run again, gives you an additional four years of significant influence over your political party, and then four more years where you could be in power if you did run again and got reelected. I think there's something smart about that in our society. I'm not saying something that intentionally happened, but the ability to be so influential, I'm not saying you, you, I guess, don't run. It'd be hard that if you believe you're going to win, that you would be like, all right, I did my first four. I'm going to take a break, let somebody else run, hand power to the other side, potentially over, and then take it back. I get why we do it the way we do it. I get why those politicians run consecutive terms in office and then step away when the uh, the system we have in place doesn't allow them to continue to run again and again and again. But I do think that uniquely uh, there is a lot more benefit to the politician in having a term where you're not the president, where you can rail against the things that the current president is doing if he's on the opposing side, and then get back into office. I think it does make you more influential. I think it will make I'll just say this and then we will take the break. Uh, Trump, one of the most influential people in the world of politics in the history of our country, whether you hate him or love him, whether it's someone that you you think would destroy our country if he's in office again or the only person capable of saving our country from the muck that exists in the world of politics. He is going to be one of the most significant political names in the history of our, our, our society And I think it's partially because he is currently not the president, but can run again. That is my own assumption, my own opinion, and I'm sure a lot of people can tell me I'm wrong. I love when I end in a segment like that, by the way, because every segment is that. A quick break, a lot more. Greg Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
0: If you like talk radio like Chad Benson likes his meals, you've come to the perfect place for takeout.
1: This is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. Uh, Thrilled to be with you. Chad is back next week. Much deserved vacation for one of the hardest working and most talented people I know in radio. Um, I thought this was interesting. Keanu Reeves recently popped up at a a wedding in England. I guess he met the couple at a hotel. Uh, James and Nikki are their names. Uh, They were like, hey, uh, Keanu Reeves, if you want to come to our wedding, you're invited. And the guy was like, I'll see if I can make it work. Uh, and then he actually showed up. I love the fact that he showed up in a suit jacket and a T-shirt, though, too, because uh, Keanu Reeves can rock that look at a wedding. Not everybody can. Uh, that's not a look that we can all pull off at the wedding. I don't recommend it, uh, but it's pretty cool that he was there. Uh, everybody said that he was very kind to everyone out there. Um, it's something that I think Keanu Reeves makes the news about a lot, just being like a nice human being and something that I admire about the guy certainly uh, quite a bit. And anytime I talk about this, I always think about the Bill Murray quote, that after you first get famous, there's a couple years there where you're not a good person, uh, where you're a jerk. He uses a different word. And then he said uh, some celebrities come back from that jerky life, and other people just live. (laughs) I like the phrase jerky life. Other people live that for the rest of the time that they're famous. Uh, And Keanu Reeves seems like somebody that certainly came back and someone had dealt with a lot in his life. Uh, so, again, I just thought it was a cool story. Uh, and more important than anything else, a cool idea for that couple to be like, yeah, I don't know, we met the guy at the hotel, we talked to him a few times, he seemed pretty friendly with us, so we took a shot in the dark. We're like, we're here to get married. You want to you hang out? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, maybe, I'll figure it out if I can make it happen. Uh, other things I love that are in the news right now, there's this story. Uh, this guy's 67 years old. He's a retired uh, doctor and a, a uh, Navy vet. Uh, He has recently taken up a job, Dr. Eric Greensmith, to be a lifeguard uh, in a community in New Jersey. Uh, He said that a lot of the younger lifeguards reacted to him uniquely and that he had to at first kind of tell them that he was more than capable of of doing the gig uh, at 67 years old, uh, which, again, I guess not many of the other coworkers were that age specifically. I I love the way he referenced it, though, and how much he said he's enjoying uh, this part of his his working life and career. Uh, and how fun it's been to do a job quite like this one
0: they've always been respectful but they were trying to be uh...
1: Protective, perhaps, and I had to remind them that I was old, not dead. I'm still pretty (laughs) capable. It's probably one of the best jobs I ever had. You get to make sure people are safe and enjoying their vacation in one of the most beautiful settings you could be at. Now, that's nice. Every part of that's nice. His attitude is nice. Uh, Dr. Greensmith, uh, the attitude of the other people he works with to try to overly protect him because they think his age is a deterrent to his ability to do the job, which they're wrong about, is nice. I will say this, though. It's a little sad. Uh, that a 67-year-old retired doctor and Navy veteran felt he needed to go back to work if he needed to do it financially. And I'm not sure in this story, in this case, that that individual actually needed the money of the job itself and didn't just want to go back to work because I think a whole lot of people don't enjoy uh, the day-to-day life of being retired. Uh, But there are individuals who fall in the same category as this person who are going back to work now are talking about how the retirement plan fell apart because of inflation And so that part of the entire conversation, and again, maybe not relevant to this exact example, is a valuable thing to think about too. But darn it, good luck to the guy. I think it's a cool gig, and I'm glad he likes it as much as he does. I'm glad he can tell those young kids to leave him alone. Quick break, a lot more. Craig Collins filling in on The Chad Benson Show.
2: The Chad Benson Show
1: this is the Chad Benson Show. My name is Craig Collins filling in. And I, I assume like many of you get kind of sick of all the politics that exists in our society. So I promise for this segment, I'm going to take it mostly off in the world of politics. I'll just say one thing, one thing that is uniquely depressing. Uh, 40% of Americans think that we're headed toward a civil war, that it's likely within the next decade. Uh, this is because of the uh, separation uh, between both sides of pretty much any political conversation now. How uh, It's only getting worse and not better. How a whole bunch of politicians say things like, for the protection of our democracy, you got to vote on our side and you can't vote on the other side because that'll, that'll ruin everything. Uh, those guys are the bad guys. Essentially shaping the political opposition as evil uh, inevitably winds up shaping other people, everyday Americans, as evil. And then it makes the people on one side of a political aisle start to hate the people on the other side of a political aisle. Essentially, it's all bad, is what I'm saying here. And this is the information we're learning or aware of, especially when we put out the, the question and a YouGov poll says that 40% of people are like, yeah, no, uh, eventually people are going to take up arms within the next decade. Uh, as a, a young millennial person who maybe is overly woke in the degree of not wanting that sort of thing to happen in our society, uh, that's a thing that scares me, the idea that that could happen at some point. Uh, and I'm not sure that I'll do well in the uh, Civil War that uh, eventually comes. So maybe it's very selfish of me. I got some Marine uncles that are willing to train me, though. So I think I'm going to eventually have to take them up on that offer. All right, let's move on. Other things, as I said, other things that exist in the world that are far less, uh, well, just depressing as that kind of stat, throwing it out there. Uh, well, actually, this is not going to hit. <laughs> I love how I just made that transition, knowing full well that what I was about to say is in no way, shape, or form any less depressing. It's just not political. So, hey, here's a half win for you on a day like today. Uh, Elon Musk made news on Twitter recently, uh, not about whether or not he's still being forced to buy Twitter. I like that that's all wrapped up in in legal arguments and fights and whatnot right now. Uh, But he actually said on Twitter that it's just a matter of time before it happens again. And what he was referencing and even the photo he showed was an asteroid making contact with our planet that wiped out all the dinosaurs. He literally, a guy who's doing the SpaceX thing, is like, hey, man, it's one of them is going to hit. We're going to get hit, and all of society is going to be destroyed, and uh, good luck to us. And good luck to—and he says he, he remembers—well, he doesn't remember, uh, but he knows about several different creatures other than the Tyrannosaurus Rex or the Triceratops that were also destroyed, one of them, the Anzu, if I'm saying that correctly— which was, according to uh, many, just a chicken from hell. Just like the worst, (laughs) the craziest, the meanest, the most spiteful version of a chicken. Uh, That thing uh, got wiped out uh, the first time. And so uh, Elon Musk and then a whole lot of his followers went back and forth on social media about the end of the world and how there's not going to be some sort of spaceship piloted by Bruce Willis and a team of plucky people that go ahead and take that asteroid out and save our lives. (laughs) And that's disappointing to me because if anybody's building that rocket, by the way, to eventually put Bruce Willis and others on it, uh, and I don't know if Bruce would go anymore, and I know that that was a movie, I understand, Uh, but if anybody's building that rocket, it's probably uh, Elon Musk. And so let's, let's keep working toward that goal of making sure that that asteroid does not hit our planet, please. All right. Let's move on to something else uh, yet again, uh, something that's definitely different. Uh, Again, this one actually I think is uplifting. I'm going to go ahead and throw this one out there first before uh, one last topic I want to talk about, and then we'll take a break here in a bit. Uh, But this first one I think is pretty interesting, pretty cool. Uh, This is a a drug that typically was used as a cancer therapy, but it's emerged as a powerful anti-aging remedy. Uh, This is out of Germany, uh, the drug that patients normally take, again, to fight cancer, and a new study revealed that it actually is great at increasing the human lifespan and in some ways actually reversing some of the impacts of aging on your body or at least elongating the the um, timeframe it takes for those sort of uh, things to occur, those sort of breakdowns in our own body. Whether or not this is something that people would eventually take because it's usually something that you take only short term and only a couple experiments have demonstrated this so far. I do think, and this is me going back to my version of Elon Musk, uh, and I am not smoking any of the stuff he's smoking, so this is just a regular me uh, saying this, that at some point, some scientist somewhere who doesn't destroy society and do something that they shouldn't be studying might also cure, uh, and I don't mean this definitively, I don't mean this forever, but cure a lot of the aging effects that happen to us. I think that could occur at some point. So I don't think it's happening anytime soon. I don't think I'm going to get to take the pill or anybody that you know is going to take the pill that makes you not age or at least age very, very slowly. But I do believe a day is coming in which the average lifespan is a whole lot longer than it's been right now. And this study is one of the first that sort of demonstrates that we might be on the track, on the path for that. And this uh, pill, not really designed for this. It's not something that will give you you know, hundreds of years to your life, uh, but it would um, make you more likely to advance to... Uh, what they call the the later stages, uh, the typically older aged points in life, like living to 100 and whatnot, would be more common for many people and then living even beyond it. Uh, and I do think that I would sign up for taking those drugs when and if they're out there. I love that, that conversation too. If you've ever had that with anybody, um, and I think it's like a crazy, it's not a valuable thing probably to talk about, but darn it, so many things in our society that are valuable are hard to talk about. So just go rogue. Just go the random world of, hey, man, if they cured uh, death, would you be it? Uh, or would you be someone that would still let yourself not be on this planet forever? The You know, you could be half robot version of a conversation. And I always go, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, as much breakdown as is needed, I'd go Futurama. I'd go just my head in a jar at some point, if that's something I get, because I think it could still be fun. Uh, and this is Catholic Craig talking. Uh, if you haven't heard me before, uh, make that reference. Uh, at times during my radio career, since I am a Catholic, I have been used on other shows I worked on as a person to weigh in on a story about the Catholic church in the news, which was not a fun role to have as Catholic Greg, uh, but I still make those references now. And I understand that, uh, you know, there's other things that happen uh, when we die. If you believe in those sort of things, I would just like as long of a run as I can. And as I said, if you've never seen the cartoon show Futurama, I would even take the it's just my head in a jar. And I think they eventually got some robot bodies on some of those individuals. So we'd be fine. Uh, now, let's move on to other stuff. I told you, this segment, we're getting very far away from the typical stuff that we talk about on the show, because I just I can't handle all that stuff anymore. Uh, here's another one, though. Cancel culture, and this is, I guess, a little more serious, is something that more Americans believe is self-inflicted. Uh, and I don't mean the people who get canceled. It's their fault they got canceled. But the culture itself is something that our society has sort of been blazing toward for a little while now. And the reason this belief is held by a lot of Americans is some of the the data that they've been finding, some of the different research they're doing and to say, asking someone in a, a, a poll, uh, do you believe certain things? Do you claim to believe certain things that you don't believe? Do you censor your speech in certain conversations? And more Americans than ever say yes to some of this stuff. They say, yeah, no, I don't always share my true, authentic opinion on this or, or that thing because I think it's going to make people mad. I think it's something that's not going to be an easy conversation to be had. Do you even say stuff? This is my favorite question in this uh, a poll. Do you even say things that you do not believe, but you think that they are the popular opinion? And a majority of people said yes to that. Uh, more people than not said, yeah, there's some things I put out there in the world, uh, whether it's just stuff that I say to other people in my day-to-day life. Maybe it's something I post on social media that I do not believe. I believe the counter opposite to it. And I don't just stay silent in those moments. I choose to take it one step further and be inauthentic, be fake, say the thing I don't believe. What's so valuable to me about that, and this is a deep dive, taking this topic overly seriously for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, But what I think is so valuable about that is that cancel culture is essentially us forcing a ideal on a lot of people that can't live up to it. And I'm not saying that all stories are the same. Someone who, who commits actual crimes is accused of actual crimes and winds up being guilty of, say, those crimes in the court of law, uh, those people probably don't need to be famous anymore. And I'm not saying I cancel them per se, but I think it'd be awkward to, say, walk into any sort of event now where Bill Cosby is the subject of something. And the reason that I wouldn't go to that is, yeah, he looked very guilty of some very bad stuff. But we're not talking about those individuals, I think, when we talk about cancel culture. We're talking about anybody. We're talking about anybody who maybe even made a joke at some point that we now consider in poor taste, but years ago was something that was more socially acceptable. Uh, Those things are interesting to me in how they wind up playing with this idea that we've become a society, at least some of us have, and I think certainly younger generations more likely to feel this way than not, that every single thing you say or think or do has been judged by the rules of social media, a world that is fake, a world that Dave Chappelle very hilariously said was not real when he uh, addressed the controversy that happened to him uh, over Twitter. He's like, yeah, I I wasn't mad about Twitter being upset with me because Twitter's not a place. And he's right about that. And I do think that's a problem. If you've ever had a conversation, here's an example. I'll do an example, and then we'll take a break. If you've ever had a conversation with someone, maybe someone that's a generation or two different from you, and you say a thing and you know they don't like it, the thing you say, maybe they don't even articulate to you They don't like it. For some reason, they see that as a lost uh, uh, and not a valuable conversation, like a lost cause to even try to convince you of their opinion. So they just say nothing. Um, But you see their face scrunch up in a way. You see it like go a certain direction. Uh, I feel like that's a moment in our society now where it'd be valuable for a lot more people to be like, hey, let me clarify what I just said, since you apparently just decided in your brain that I'm now a terrible person. (laughs) And let's take another step of actually talking through it. And maybe we even are going to find a common ground here. I don't think we do that anymore. I think we get to the moment. And I don't mean everybody. We as a society, there's a whole lot of people who do this every single day. Uh, But I think the problem with the cancer culture, cancel culture stuff and the people that don't avoid these sort of things, or even the corporations that take a lot of this stuff too seriously, is ignoring the scrunch up face and not having a continued conversation at the moment. It's like someone trying to hit dislike on their social media profile in person to you when you say or act a certain way and then try to avoid you from that point. They try to like block you in their own mind as well. And we we can't do that or we shouldn't do that in society for society. This is very high and mighty. I got very up on my pompous high horse and I apologize for it, but I just couldn't help it. When I saw the cancel culture story there and how it's self-inflicted by our society and how fake and authentic it is now, or how much we disagree on things and can't have the conversation about them. And I agree that that is a a valuable or, or logical uh, byproduct of a society that just sort of ignores those differences now and then somehow decides in your brain that someone who thinks differently than you is, is worse than you. I can certainly laugh at the thoughts that I don't agree with. I think it's interesting. And again, this is the high and mighty pompous point that's probably not realistic in our society or any society, because we're never going to get fully kumbaya. You're ne- never going to have every person who disagrees on every topic forever hug it out at the end. That's illogical too. But there's certainly a more valuable middle ground that we lost, and it's caused some of the things that a lot of people now most hate in the society we're in. All right, quick break, a lot more, no more preaching coming up next. Craig Collins filling in in the Chad Benson Show.
0: Podcasts are American as hot dogs, apple pie, football, and sushi. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Oh my goodness. No. Okay, maybe not sushi. Next time you have a craving for something sweet and tangy, download a Chad Benson Show Podcast.
3: Mm, boy. That is good. It's different because you get a little bit of saltiness. It's so good because it's sweet and salty at the same time.
0: Get a taste on iTunes, iHeart, or Spotify and binge to your ears content. Oh yeah.
1: You're listening to the Chad Benson Show. This is The Chad Benson Show. Uh, My name is Craig Collins filling in. Chad will be back after the holiday. I highly recommend The Chad Benson Show podcast, by the way. I'm impressed at how quickly it gets out after Chad does his show. So definitely go check it out wherever you are, and a kudos to Phil for doing that so well all the time. All right. Uh, Some things out there just real quick that I wanted to cover uh, before we get out of here. The first one, a $400 emergency fund, uh, which is the typical amount of money people used to save, I guess, like the low-end amount uh, that some even... People would tell you, some organizations or professionals would say you need at least 400 bucks in a savings account somewhere. That's not even close to good enough anymore. Uh, the amount of money that you actually need to save as sort of an emergency fund for a one-off thing, and I don't think it would be like a serious medical thing either. I think this would just be any sort of day-to-day issue that might come up and happen. $1,400. Bucks. The actual amount of money you need, according to the, the experts, $1,447 to handle a typical uh, just emergency sort of situation. Again, that I don't think is like the, the very serious medical condition sort of emergency. I think you need way more money uh, to, to survive something like that. But it is interesting that just how much that number has even gone up and how difficult it is for people to set some of that uh, amount aside to just have available to them in a need, in a moment of need. Uh, beyond that, other things I saw out there that I thought were interesting that I just want to rapid fire through Apparently, adding uh, used COVID-19 masks um, to concrete makes it 22% stronger. Uh, Researchers have discovered that the pandemic masks, the gloves, all those different things uh, might be valuable as sort of a mixture of things that I guess are now going to be used throughout our society. Uh, The PPP items, the personal protective equipment stuff, uh, is stuff that you should immediately start throwing in uh, if you're going to repave the driveway or something, I guess, because uh, it's going to have value. Uh, you wouldn't want it to land on the top area. You wouldn't want to look across the concrete and see masks and stuff sticking out. Uh, but I thought it was a cool story, an interesting story. I'm not sure how practical of a story. Uh, the research is still even in its early stages, it says. So it might wind up not being useful in the world of construction. That's something that could just flip right in the world of COVID. It'd be valuable or, or very similar to what we've seen before. For that information to utterly change at some point recently and i hope the cdc starts weighing in as to whether or not we should use masks in our construction and our our concrete uh material because i feel like that advice is going to be all over the place i saw this story about a a grandmother in canada who had the uh who has the same name as a criminal uh, and i guess couldn't pass a background check when somehow she got involved in some things or or did some i think just like basic everyday using your your name stuff that got flagged as potentially connected to the criminal. The reason why she couldn't clear her name, 68 years old, didn't commit any of the crimes that the other person with the same name did, her fingerprints disappeared. She couldn't even figure out how, but she no longer has her fingerprints, and so she can't prove that she's not the other person. Uh, She and her doctor are trying to figure out why she doesn't have any, um, and that would be, like, jarring. Like, think about that as, as the eventual hiccup. To being like, oh, I'm trying to apply for, say, a license for something or apply to get a loan or something. And somehow it gets flagged, some background, maybe just apply for a job. And the background check is like, hey, no, we don't hire people with past like yours. And she says, I don't have that past. And they're like, well, prove it. And eventually you get to the point where you're putting your fingers in the ink, you're putting them down and you're like, all right, tell me, tell me that I'm not the person. And they're like, we can't, you have no fingerprints. At all. Although I do wonder if the other criminal has fingerprints, isn't that still kind of proof? It's not you. If you can show that you got nothing every time you do the ink fingerprint thing, that's gotta be like a unique, it's technically still a fingerprint. It's just like, it's a zero. It's like the athlete who wears the number zero. And by the way, okay, real quick with almost no time left in the show, I saved it for as long as I possibly could. One of the most fun stories, two fun stories in the world of sports right now, both come out of baseball Albert Pujols chasing 700 home runs is something that's definitely enjoyable for me, and I think anybody to watch. These are the reasons that baseball is such a, a great sport in our society. I know a lot of people might not agree with that, and I would just tell you, you're wrong uh, on that one. You're wrong. And then second is Aaron Judge hit his 50th home run. It's still August, uh, so that is a significant number of home runs. He's on pace to, or better uh, pace than a lot of people. Uh, that have significant records in the world of baseball. One of the only guys way above him at this point in the season was Barry Bonds. Uh, Barry Bonds, of course, accused of doing all those steroids and things. So some people don't see that as a legit record. At least in the American League, it definitely will be a record if he gets past the 61 home runs that Maris hit. I think that's much watch sport, much sport, must-watch sports, and I encourage you to do it every time Aaron judges a bat. And yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. Greg Collins filling in on the Chad Benson Show. Have a good day.
0: This is The Chad Benson Show.